0: Welcome, Dr. David. Uh streaming live right before the Super Bowl here today. And uh you know, some people might be listening to it later. But you know, I thought it was pretty cool to to kick off uh before we go our separate ways and cheer for pro- possibly different teams. But good to see you, my friend. Uh first off, I'll be cheering for no teams because
1: uh one, my Raiders aren't in it. Two, the Detroit Lions uh unfortunately lost. So the NFL season is done for me. Uh I do not want to I hope both
0: teams can lose. Look, this is as close as the Raiders are going to get to the Super Bowl. All right. Their, their, their stadium is there. It, this is it. This is as close as you're going to get.
1: <laughs> uh, first off, that stadium's awesome. awesome. Uh, if you remember a couple of years back, we were both there. Um, and so that stadium is amazing. But shout out to the Raiders because
0: their stadium's so awesome that people want to have the Super Bowl there. You know what I'm saying? It's a pretty cool stadium. I liked, I liked being there. Um, yeah, it was definitely definitely a cool place to be. So, Would you say it was an innovative place to be, considering it was right on this, right off the strip, essentially? That, that's pretty innovative. I was at the Sphere recently too. That's also pretty innovative. So I'd say you know Vegas has been pushing their innovations. So is that what you want to talk about today? Uh yeah. You know, I'm a
1: I consider myself an innovator. You know, uh, I am a waffle connoisseur, and I'm constantly pushing the boundaries of what you can do with waffles. So yes, I will consider myself an
0: innovator. What about you? Yeah, uh, I don't know if I consider myself an innovator, but I definitely like innovation. I may be more of a student of innovation than an innovator myself so far. But yeah, I mean, I was just at the Sphere for U2. I, I was less impressed with U2 themselves than the Sphere. The Sphere was really cool. If you haven't been there, go check it out. But that's what David and I are gonna talk about today, what it takes to be an innovator. Um, some good examples and some things that we're seeing right now that we find really innovative. And, you know, I've got the shirt on since one of my friends over there sent me uh, some stuff here. Um, Live Your Life LifeX, Life X, who is not a sponsor of the show here today, nor am I invested in them, but uh, really, really interesting product. So we'll probably get into that a little bit too. And just, you know, that type of innovation, a new thing coming to market that has potential to really change Uh, I really think, changed the landscape of how people invest for certain uh, characteristics. So uh, where do you want to get started? Well, you know, uh, let's talk about innovation, right? Specifically,
1: um, I love people who have big ideas and who try and disrupt the status quo of things. So uh, as you know, Jamie, me and my family are moving in a couple months, and uh, I told you I had some anxiety about dealing with the real estate market, partially because it's kind of complicated, right? I mean, there's a bunch of middle processes. It's all based upon sort of these old ideals. It was all set up before technology was a thing. And what I've learned and really being introspective is that I have essentially found every house that we've lived in. And it wasn't because the real estate agent was pointing it out. It's because I spent hours upon hours scouring the MLS once I got access to it through my agent and I found the homes. I set these things up. But then my real estate agent got paid. So i voiced my frustration with that. And I happened to uh, talk to a founder, specifically Amanda Orson. Shout out to her with Galion. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. But it's an awesome startup in the fact that they layer on some technology to get rid of the whole uh, middle person. And they go from um, offer to close and you can avoid the fees associated with having a real estate agent, right? Cause at this point, most real estate agents, uh, because most people I saw a stat about well, 59% of people are finding the house themselves. And a real estate agent is basically just opening the door and setting up showings, which we know technology can really take care of. Um, so I think her company is very in the early stages. I'm not an investor. Um, I just think it's an awesome, innovative idea that finally someone's going to tackle this problem, but innovation lies right in front of us. And a lot of times we just get scared to really try new ideas. I mean, it's yeah. a- it causes anxiety. It's a very anxious thing to suggest to someone and put yourself out there. Like I'm going to try something new. And I know you just mentioned with LifeX, we were talking before the show. I mean, they have an innovative idea, right? It's something that no one else has tried. And do you want to tell a little bit more about what they do?
0: And again, yeah, our sponsors, yeah, you're investors. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it. It's funny that I'm wearing the shirt when we're talking about this, it wasn't planned, but uh, Yeah. And look, like, I think that the example you gave, I think people have been hoping for innovation in the housing market for a long time. Right. And uh, Redfin tried it for a little bit and they have some stuff, but it really didn't change the game in the sense of cost and real estate agents. But Zillow and Redfin definitely changed the way we shop for housing. Right. Like it's been totally innovative and it kind of opened that up to the market, which I think has been really cool. But it hasn't kind of disruptive. It hasn't kind of disrupted the next level. It was innovative, but maybe not disruptive yet. Uh, so, LifeX is super cool. Um, if you're in the investing world, uh, Stone Ridge, uh, really uh, great investment firm. They've done some pretty cool things, like NYDIG, If you're familiar with that, they do some private markets work too. And I got the you know pleasure be able to work with uh, some of the team there in the past. And they just got approved and launched and out a product called Lifex. And Lifex is a 40 act fund uh, that that really kind of functions during the majority of the time you're in the fund kind of as a bond laddered portfolio. And so you're really participating like bonds are going to be doing. Um, But then they actually wrapped in mortality credits uh, into this too later in life. And it actually does a payout very similar to an annuity. And so it's really interesting because what they actually were able to create um, and they did have to age and gender discriminate. And so when you say that, it seems like a bad thing. But the only way you can put mortality credits to a pooling of people is the fact you have to know how long they're going to live and life expectancy. And so they actually partnered up with New York Life on their um, kind of proprietary mortality uh, tables and build out this product got it sec approved this is the first time anything like this the sec is signed off on and so i believe it's up and launched um but like if you were born in 1965 you'll have a different uh ticker than say somebody born uh like a male in 1982 will have a different ticker than a female in 1982 so it's a really interesting thing but it allows them to actually take what is a very valuable part of insurance, um, which is mortality pooling, and extend that into an investment product. So super interesting. Uh, you know, we'll see, can it create a market though? is there are people interested in? is it too different than everything else that's out there? And one of the things that I found super interesting about this development is we've been talking for years on how does the insurance world look more like the investment world uh, because most people are moving towards their investment platforms as the starting point. So there was all this pressure, really, on the insurance world to create products that look more like investment products, can show up in your portals, can be integrated into your plans. And this one's interesting because somebody went the other way. They said, well, we've got an investment product. We've got a great idea, worked on it for basically a decade to be able to get it all the way through to approval and uh, you know, made really the investment world a little bit more like the insurance world, at least pulled out one of the great features of it. So I, I, I'm super impressed by it. I have told some people it's the most innovative thing I've seen in the, uh, investing world in my entire work career. So you go back 17 years, I've never seen anything that's quite like this. Um, and so I've been super impressed by it. And, you know, one of the things about this, it's not one of the innovations though, Too David, we should probably talk about this, like the, the flat, like flash in a pan or changing demographics. This was Super methodical, well thought out, researched, right? Multiple really big parties worked through with the government. Like this isn't like the, oh, I found a better way to jump cars and like, you know, came up with jumper cables. It's not like that, right? This is really well thought out. And you get innovations on both sides. And uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how this one plays out. Well, so I'm interested in that, the fact, most
1: people think that innovation occurs like overnight overnight. But it actually takes a really long time, right? Um, during COVID, which obviously sucked for everybody, everyone was so impressed with mRNA uh, vaccine technology. But that technology was on the shelf, right? It was deemed a non-usable technology for years, and it just uh, came to find out that we got introduced a new variable in in regards to the COVID virus and all the traditional vaccines weren't working the techniques weren't working so they had to go back to the drawing board and said you know what about this old technology that we have do we think it'll work and that's what people fail to really realize is sometimes innovation can take decades it can take two decades um i'm obviously right now for about six more months a robotic surgeon primarily and people forget that intuitive again not a sponsor of the show i don't have any conflicts of interest with them um They had their robot, the surgical robot, had been in development for a couple of decades before it actually caught hold in the medical community. So even though it may seem methodical um, to the people on the ground, a lot of people will see up front, all they see is the end effect of it, that, that innovation sort of hit. But that was years and years upon preparation. The reality is, is we live in a society these days and everyone is so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in mm-hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know, the amount of dedication that it
0: took over that time. We'll be right back with the show. But first, I wanted to tell you a bit about our sponsor and the production company behind the FinServe podcast, Pony. Are you on the lookout for a podcast producer? How about a content boost or even someone to help take your brand to the next level? Well, let's face it, creating content and keeping up with a content schedule just isn't easy. That's where Pony comes in, your all-in-one content partner for thought leaders and business owners. From media coaching, podcast production, blogs, webinars, newsletters, website support, social media, or any other facet of the content world, they've got you covered. From initial concepts and strategies to production and distribution, the experts at Podpony are with you every step of the way. They'll help you create customized content that turns heads and brings in business. All you have to do is show up and do what you love. They'll handle the rest. So saddle up with Podpony by visiting Podpony.com and start your content journey today. Now, back to the show. You know, like we almost always do on this show because Harvard Business Review has more good articles than anywhere else. Uh, you know, there's a really famous article about, I think it's like the seven stages or, of innovation or seven parts of innovation uh, that Harvard Business Review is very famous for publishing. And, you know, that one, uh, that researcher always talked about focus, that actually most of the time innovation takes a lot of focus. It is not usually the spark of genius. Now, that does happen um, that you have the spark of genius innovators, but most of the time it's very long. It's thought out, uh, to your point about um, you know, the vaccines, often where disruptive innovation comes from too, is actually an inferior product that creates a new domain, um, a new area. And so there were you know, parts of innovation that you mentioned that have been on the shelves for years because actually they weren't better than the existing solutions for most things right? until a moment in time. And so you think about a lot of the stuff out there, um, Airbnb, and I'll I'll talk about two things here. Airbnb is one uh, that's an easy one to talk about. And then, you know, Kodak, which is probably the most famous kind of conversation of innovation and top five probably in business schools taught uh, just about, you know, maybe not innovating, but it's an interesting case study, uh, you know, kind of over time now. I think the dynamics have actually shifted again. Uh, as we live stream on like instagram right it's uh, it's interesting how photography has shifted over the years but you think about something like airbnb i mean originally if you'd went to people who were staying at a marriott and been like hey i've got this other option for you you can go stay at somebody's house they're probably going to be there i don't know if the sheets will be clean you might be able to get in you might not be able to get in if something goes wrong in the middle of the night we can't help you um there's probably loud neighbors next door Like, do you want to stay there? And like every single person using a hotel would be like, no, I don't think that's for me. (laughs) Right. Like it, it, it wouldn't be right. If you, if you surveyed people that were using it to stay places, it wouldn't be. Now, you know, what happened is they came into a different area of people who wouldn't use hotels, who weren't traveling. They were looking for something different than what hotels were bringing, mostly business travelers. And they caught a spark and then it's changed over time. I mean, now um, you know, now it's moved to whole houses, whole apartments, and that's a big deviation from the original model. Right. Um, and and now you can argue, well, in some locations, it might be better than a hotel, but it didn't start off that way. Right. It started off as a much inferior product to what hotels were going to deliver and then kind of build up and was disruptive and innovative. And to me, um, that's a great example of that. Right. Like created a new domain, a new group that's going to go after it. Then it allowed it right over time. Basically, the performance of it goes up and then it starts to pass some of the other things out there. The other thing, um, you know, we'll talk about uh, uh, Kodak, which is pretty famous, right? They were just world dominant, uh, one of the largest companies out there for photography. Now, everybody kind of knows the end of the story now that Kodak, you know, lost that world dominance, digital photography co- took over kind of the silver, uh, whatever you call those, the silver plated uh, Photos, right? They got passed eventually, but when digital photography started passing traditional photography, that Kodak really steered back into the the shots were much worse, right? Like they were really, really poor pixelate, pixelated quality, and so even when you looked at it then, a better product hadn't come to market that disrupted them, right? It was something that created a new domain, and it actually took photography kind of out of the hands of professionals and gave it to everybody. And what I find really interesting today is like, there really isn't a big photography company anymore. What happened is like the people who make money off of photos are now like influencers, right? Like it completely shifted the world. And so one of the things I talked about with somebody recently was like, look, it might not have mattered what they had done. Like Had they moved into digital photography, they just would have been 10 years longer and then still been disrupted by phones and then eventually just by individuals who take photos and no real way to monetize it anymore. So that like that one's a really interesting story of innovation. And they actually created digital photography at Kodak and actually had the patent for it, I think, let it expire, if I remember correctly, or didn't or didn't re-innovate on it because they didn't think that's where the market was going.
1: Well, that's actually a, a good point to start out with, right? Because a lot of large companies have issues with that exact thing where once they become successful, they start to slow down on their innovative ideas in an effort to protect the overall company, right? There's a whole book on that specifically talking about the innovator's dilemma. And it goes with, uh, you, get, you have a great idea that gets you to some success. And then you sort of stop taking those risks in an effort to protect the success that you thought was always going to be there. And at some point, everyone talks about it, the bigger the company, the likely are they are to get disrupted because after a while, the innovation that you sort of your company created becomes a standard. And then people find problems with that standard and inefficiencies with the standard. So then they develop an a new innovative solution, which challenges the status quo, and this sort of cycle continues, which is the reason why people have been so amazed at like companies like Microsoft apple google Amazon that they 've been able to stay on top for so long because they 've always pushed the envelope on what is innovative I mean think about it, Apple just launched the vision Pro, which a lot of people are upset over right like oh it's very polarizing it's too expensive it looks kind of ridiculous kind of people walking around with it right <laughs> um there's even videos which are ridiculous of people driving in it which definitely should not be the Tesla guy driving yeah around. the Tesla guy driving around he's like a, a picture perfect whatever right um the fact of the matter is that innovation That is costly for them. It might be a multiple billion dollar thing that they know that might not work out. I mean, Amazon for years was saying and Jeff Bezos said, basically, if you weren't failing, you weren't trying harder. And they would launch products over and over and over again. And a lot of them just didn't work between. um, Let's see, the Echo, right, didn't work. The Mm -hmm. Fire Phone didn't work. Amazon Alexa really hasn't panned out the way they thought it would. And they've just constantly done things. They've gone into video. They've tried to do things. It's very rare that you're going to stick to your core business or your core idea in order to continue to create the success that you have. Now, with that being said, as an everyday person, um, I have mentioned before on this podcast the way to sort of differentiate yourself is by being a problem solver. In that problem solving is you have to come up with innovative solutions. You might not actually be the smartest in the room, but you can connect the dots. Can you make a process more simple? Can you sort of decrease the amount of busy work that someone's doing during the day? And those are being known as an innovator, being known as a problem solver. They kind of go hand in hand. Sometimes it requires capital. Sometimes it doesn't require capital. But understanding like, hey, where can I contribute to an organization? Organizations that are are very successful continue to push that envelope in innovation. Um, at least that is what we have today. The kodaks of the world, the Xeroxes of the world, the IBMs of the world, they kind of struggle, right? They struggle to be innovative. They lost their positioning. And then they're struggling to sort of climb back up that food chart if they're even present today. I mean, one of the best examples is Dell Computing, right? Like, They went into bankruptcy. Michael Dell left, came back, bought them out of bankruptcy, and now they're starting to remake themselves into a better computing company, all because they stopped innovating. Um, It became hard when you have essentially a supercomputer in your hand every day. You no longer need to lug around a personal computer. Um, Most people thought the iPod and the iPad were ridiculous. I mean, I can't remember... all the jokes that people used to say about the iPad, uh,
0: which majority of the time was not, uh, suitable for work. Right. Well, the, uh, the, the iPhone too. Do you remember that? Uh, you know, I think that eventually, uh, they ran like a video on this, but when they were interviewing all the people on 60 minutes about how expensive the phone was going to be and how big of a failure it was going to be. And, you know, that's one, you know, kind of people got wrong to a large extent, right? On how big. And how much people were willing to spend on phones long term. And it wasn't like at the time, it was free phone, free phone, and phones had gone down, down, down in price. And, you know, they saw that there was a different use case for this moving forward. And I think that's super cool. I also loved how you brought up process innovation because, you know, I think a lot of times when people start thinking about innovation, they just go immediately to products, companies technology, but process innovation is huge, right? I mean, Ford, who's one of the great innovators, right? It was a process innovator too. He did innovate on products, but he was also process innovator. Um, How have you worked on process innovation? Because I feel like that's one that you have focused on throughout your career. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: process, the thing about being a surgeon is process is what differentiates you, right? Like, can you be efficient? Like your great outcomes come from being able to do the same thing over and over again with little variations so that you get the same outcome. And process is what I usually start with, right? Because in order to be innovative in any manner or come up with a new product, you have to know what the existing process is. And within that existing process, did you exhaust all your ability to be efficient in it? And most people, I would say, they don't even know what the process is. They have a bunch of wasted motion and they can get a huge return on investment just by getting rid of the waste in what they do. Um, I mean, whether it's studying throughout the day or figuring out, hey, what is the bare minimum that gives me the maximum output that I need to do every single time to get the desired result? And I spend a lot of time trying to innovate on processes because a lot of people just have a lot of wasted motion. And that goes to maybe it's the fact that I love Lean Six Sigma, which a lot of people don't love, but I'm not. I mean, the Toyota company is they're very good at quality control, right? And you know, when you get a product for them that it's going to have minimum defects and it's going to work. I mean most recently they shut down their entire line because they had a defect that they deemed unacceptable. Um most people can't really fathom doing that because they think about the monetary amount like how much money I'm going to lose or how much money will the company lose if we sort of accept this as a fault. Um I mean you hear me constantly complaining about the uh Model Y Tesla that I drive, right? It it is example of poor Quality control and the process for making that car clearly isn't efficient given the fact of the amount of defects they have. Being an innovator is saying, Hey, I'm unwilling to accept the status quo. I think there's something better. And I think as employees, as uh, entrepreneurs, as young folks, like we can constantly push the envelope because we're going to need people to push the things that we said going forward. We have to pass the baton.
0: Yeah. Well, and what well, you got into there too, I mean, operational efficiency is, you know, it's not the only thing that can help build this, but that helps build companies' strategic advantages. I think it helps build individuals' strategic advantages too. You know, if you're more efficient than the person next to you and, you know, you're going to produce more and that's just a reality and it frees you up sometimes to then have the space to focus, to be innovative. And so, you know, how do you pull in efficiencies and how do you create some type of strategic alignment there with what you do? And I think when you're innovative too, I saw uh, something recently I thought was really interesting. This was actually like a rebranding one. So we could talk about the brand episode we did before. But uh, there's this notion that like, if you want to like innovate yourself, you actually have to take a break from your systems for a while. So like, if you want to come back and be like rebranded as a different person, you should take like a total break, just disappear from all of your stuff for like six months and then come back as a new thing. And to some degree, right, it's kind of allowing for a reset. And I really like that notion. I actually thought that as an innovative way to think about, you know, branding and rebranding is actually just to kind of disappear for a while. Although I was like, that's actually really cool. And uh, you know, I was uh, in a meeting probably a year ago where somebody was showing a slide. I think it may have come from McKinsey. Um, they did a lot of uh, you know kind of uh, reports on innovation too, and they look at um, eight essential kind of measurements of innovation. But one of the cool things that the largest, uh, fastest growing companies tend to do is they actually reallocate their resources, so their capital more often than their competitors. And that's a really interesting thing. So they're focused. They actually figure out like, what is it that we want to take a risk on? And they do continuously year over year reallocate resources. So they don't just double down on the same thing each and every year and grow marketing budget by 5% every year. They actually take a big chunk of that and reallocate it each year. And so. That's the fastest growing companies out there tend to reallocate. And that's because they're trying to find innovation. They're trying to find disruption. They're trying to find innovations. And I think one of the things that I wanted to get across today when we talked about it is like, I also think you should think about that for yourself, right? Like, as you are developing in the world, what are you being innovative for yourself as like you're kind of your own company, right? And you're the most valuable resource you have in most situations, especially when you're young. Um, your present values probably worth more than everything you have. So how are you going to innovate around yourself? Are you going to go back to classes? Are you going to rebrand? Are you going to learn how to do something differently? Um, Are you going to challenge yourself physically or get more sleep, eat better, right? How do you kind of change and innovate you to be a better version of you as you go out there into the world? And I think that's just as important as thinking about innovation in the business sense, because if you're not your best self, you can't be your best self when you show up to work or for your family or friends or community.
1: I I agree wholeheartedly with you. I mean, part of being an innovator is trying to understand the problem that you're trying to solve. So if you're being an innovative person and you're just looking at your life as, hey, I need to get to this, but I don't know where and how I'm going to do it. I mean, taking a step back and actually deciding Like, okay, this is my North Star. I want to be X, Y, and Z person by the age of 26 or 30 and just staying with that singular focus and continually to plug away at it. Um, There's that sort of caricature or cartoon where the guy, two people have the pickaxe and they're both trying to get through the mountain one gets discouraged and the other one keeps going. And the one that got discouraged didn't realize that all they had to do is hit it a couple more times and they get through. And that's what innovation is, is like the ability to sort of thick it out when things aren't going great. And with a singular goal of like, I need to solve X, Y, and Z problem. It's easy to to feel like you're solving something when you're motivated by emotion, Right. It's your fight or flight response, like emotion or your defenses is what's powering that through. It's harder when you have to consciously think about it, right? And that's what innovation is. is like Sometimes you can get a little boost from the emotion, but a lot of times it is you've noticed a problem that nobody else is really paying attention to. You can't get anyone else to pay attention to, but it matters to you. And you have to be willing to put yourself out there and continue to sort of work at it and it might not pay off, right? There's a lot of things that I have done, a lot of efforts that I put in that just absolutely did not pay off. And I put a lot of uh blood, sweat and tears into it and it just absolutely didn't pay off. But it was worth it in the end. Like the newsletter? Don't even get me started. <laughs> I on. knew you were about to say something crazy. You got hey, it, man. No. Well, what did
0: you learn from that?
1: What I learned from that is it's hard to uh to launch content on a bi-weekly or tri-weekly basis without having a full team right because it it takes honestly a, a team to be able to constantly do that I mean I was able to keep that newsletter up with as many articles as I had by higher five people right like it was pretty substantial and then it required a lot of effort on my part so it was hard really to keep that up especially if you are the rate limiting step in the process and then I got needed surgery and then next yeah. thing you know newsletter go bye-bye
0: yeah i mean when i think about innovation too i also think when you're are you trying to catch a wave or create a wave um and those are different forms of innovation right that you see something coming and and you want to be part of it versus are you trying to create a new demand out there and i think that's really hard to do but it, it happens um you know, the other one that sometimes innovation requires is actually, you know, changing people's perception of something. Uh, you might look at something and think it is an inferior product or something you don't need, and sometimes innovation requires a perception change. You know, probably the most innovative thing I've gotten to be part of was the RICP program, and that one was more catching a wave. Right? We we were there at the right time. Americans are retiring, building out a retirement income program we definitely caught a wave at that time. But some of the things we did is we stepped out of the domain of kind of traditional education, meaning we took that program fully virtual and asynchronous in 2012, which the reality is we, we saw when you know COVID hit in 2020, most universities were still unable to go virtual, right? Like they really struggled with that when forced to, and we hopped in that about eight years early. And that really helped take that program to scale with like three people. And we did 18,000 people through that program in six years with three people. Um, Now it's not totally fair um, in the sense, like there's other people behind the scenes, but really like three people running the program. Right. And that's pretty wild when you think about it. So those abilities to kind of catch the wave and be innovative, pull things that other people are doing into your world and product definitely can occur. And, you know, I think, Uh, I think the next five to seven years of financial services is going to see a lot of disruption and a lot of innovation. I've actually seen kind of a, and I, I commented on Tyrone Ross's post the other day because I was like, I've seen strategic convergence here in this industry where every website, every company they pretty much all say they do the same thing. Now, um, it's really hard to differentiate any of that. So we've actually had this mass strategic convergence and kind of everybody's trying to get to the same spot, right? Planning, investments, right? Like It's all bundling in together, the CFP planning process. So I actually think the differentiation of a lot of the terms and processes and technology that were there over the last 10 years is kind of dissipated to a large extent. I think Some top end brand recognitions and partnerships out there are probably the two biggest drivers of differences today. You know, Edelman Engines has a really strong brand. The custodians drive a lot of the growth of firms today. And those partnerships are are really important. But I do think that we're going to have to see once you get kind of that convergence and everything that looks alike, somebody's going to break out into different areas and will be disruptive and will innovate. And I don't know what that is. If I did, I'd be working on it myself right now. I guess uh, sometimes I am, but you know, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I do think in the next five years, we'll see some really innovative things that you know, I, I don't think are super simple to get to, but maybe the concept will be, and we'll be like, oh, well, of course people were looking for that, which is often, uh, <laughs> once innovation comes out, that's what you say, right? Oh, that's so yeah. simple. Why didn't I think of it? Well,
1: I mean... So the simplest innovation you can do is based on process, right? Because that doesn't actually require you to create anything new. It's just sort of molding what's existing and making it more efficient. Now, with that being said, I I do think you have strategic convergence across the board, across a lot of industries, right? Because there was these rapid shifts or gradual shifts and then Um, companies started to follow what the consumer wanted and then the consumer wanted more of that. So more companies followed that. And perfect example is like EVs, right? Like Tesla came in and said, Hey, um, we're doing EVs. We're only doing EVs. And they came out with a certain aesthetic and they came out with a certain like spec. And so what the other companies did, instead of saying, Hey, we're just going to start from scratch and sort of take all the time that Tesla did to build up. We're not going to do that. We're just going to um, we're going to start from their baseline and sort of work from there. And so if you strip off all the badges on a lot of these cars and you really look at the aesthetic, they kind of look the same if you if you squint your eyes, right? Like they all have the same type of body style. They all like there's no differentiator. It used to be if you had a V8 versus a V6 versus a V10 or V12, you can tell the engine characteristics and how it drove now all evs accelerate very fast so the amount of sort of differentiator that's there is not really there and just like you said in financial planning the same thing's happening in tech and finance and medicine same thing has happened right because more and more people you sort of take the feedback from the consumer or the patient and then you go okay i have to produce more of that in order to get more sales But then you don't you stop standing out. You're just anyone can go anywhere. It's like the
0: commoditization of your industry. Well, I'm going to I'm paying attention to time. It's my one and only job here. I'm going to throw out two quick uh, uh, two or three quick questions. I'm going to do my rapid fire to you. So a favorite Super Bowl food item. You can only have one. What would you pick? Chicken wings, chicken wings. wings. What type of sauce? Uh, No, man. Dry rub, lemon pepper, all flats okay, any type of uh ranch blue cheese ranch just ranch okay, easy all right, so next one too um is uh what's the what's a book or something you've read recently that you found really impactful, man, you know, I haven't read anything lately, but I just got
1: the Elon Musk book um, on okay. walter isaacson uh it's actually on my desk, and I bought it not because I wanted to read about Elon Musk but because I've always enjoyed. Walter Isaacson's work, um, so I'm more excited about that. I will say I did read the Ray Dalio book, and honestly, I was so appalled by it that I
0: sort of stopped reading about three quarters of the way through because it was so alarming. And what's uh, what's an industry minus real estate market that you think's really ripe for disruption out there right now?
1: Honestly, I would say uh, I think financial planning has to sort of. Change in the traditional sense, right? And what I mean by that is, and we've talked about this. There are people who try to differentiate themselves by doing a one-page financial plan, but that really isn't a lot of info. And then you have the traditional folks, and then there's these battles between AUM and sort of uh, fee only. But again, I think those are process issues, right? That's not like true innovation. What I would love to see is like someone be able to truly like go downstream. Or become a financial manager of not like a thousand people's finances, but like a core group of individuals that they can sort of grow with their wealth and they sort of carry them throughout life. And instead of it being a sort of transactional type relationship that they're able to coach them and sort of, hey, this is how you actually negotiate this and help them with the sales and be the true CFO of their family and treat everyone like they have their own family off. Yeah, that would be cool.
0: Well, thanks my friend. Appreciate you. Appreciate everyone. That's tied into FinServe. If you haven't checked out FinServe, uh, you can go to www.finservefoundation.org. You can donate. Uh, We're kicking off our next mentorship uh, cohort coming up too, for all the students and a great uh, future of this profession young people out there excited to have you as part of the program and catch up with you all soon sweet peace man